This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Tommy Brandt. Tommy is a recovering electrical engineer and data scientist turned full-time real estate investor. He started TB Capital Group to buy investment-grade real estate with family, friends, and partners. He helps busy professionals accelerate their wealth through passive investing in real estate. His goal is to help others achieve ultimate freedom, which can't be done without being financially free. He's currently invested in over 400 units, totaling $36 million in assets. Tommy, welcome to the program. Matt, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm excited to add some value to your listeners here. Great. And uh, what else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Uh, pro probably just the background. I, I think, uh, you know, whenever you hear a recovering electrical engineer and, you know, full-time real estate investor, it's, it's a huge bridge to gap. Um, so uh, maybe we start there and then Matt, I'll let you kind of guide the conversation as you see fit. Does that work? Sounds great. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So I, I do joke that I am a recovering electrical engineer of 12 years. I started out in product support, uh, decided I wanted more control. So I went to the exact opposite end of the spectrum, went to sales, uh, and then I kind of ended my career in the business operations, business analyst role. Um, so I am based out of Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, um, and, and currently am full-time in real estate after having some success in that space. And, uh, and I, I probably just like most people on that, most of your listeners here, you know, I, I started out, I'm very much a product of, of my environment and my upbringing. And so um, I leaned really heavily into the narrative of um, find a good school, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, um, and, you know, then trade your time for money until you're 65 while contributing to a 401k and then hope you get to enjoy that when you're 65, uh, you know, delay gratification and definitely kind of thing. And so um, the the part where I got some exposure uh, in, in real estate, thankfully I had some exposure to real estate along the way um, that, that started to uh, poke some holes in, in that narrative there. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I graduated from Georgia Tech as an electrical engineer, uh, proud to be a hell of an engineer uh, in, in that regards. And so um, how I got exposure to real estate was is, is basically a summer job. You know, I worked for a general contractor that was the primary contractor for, uh, you know, this uh, mobile home park operator for hundreds, if not over a thousand pads in middle Georgia. And, you know, we, we did everything from exterior to interior renovation. So everything from cutting the lawn to um, handling stuff post eviction. And, you know, speaking of post eviction, about 15% of the product that we touched was post eviction. And so you're coming into these places and you're seeing trash everywhere, just the, the entire place trash. You're, you're seeing how this thing in this room made this stain on that wall. And you're wondering like logistically, how is that even possible? Uh, you know, and then there's, there's used diapers in the corners that utilities have been cut off for, for weeks and you're playing the game of who's going to open the fridge. Not it. Right. You know, not, not a pretty picture, but that did two things for me, Matt, you know, that one, probably the most obvious is that built a lot of character. Uh, and, and two, probably equally as valuable uh, that gave me the ability to have the vision to know, like, no matter what circumstance, there's always a finished product. You know, there's, there's always um, just something that we can work through. Everything is very, very workable. Uh, and so we can get to that finished product. And so, you know, that was, I, I definitely cut my teeth on that job. So if you fast forward a couple of years, I graduated uh, as an electrical engineer. I've got a couple of years worth of salary of savings. And in 2011, I bought my first investment property. 
Um, but it, it very much fit the mold of stuff that I worked on, you know, growing up there. So it was, uh, it was a four bed, two bathroom house. It had an attached two car garage, had an in-ground pool and there were pool houses and it all sounds great on paper. Uh, and until I start to tell you that, you know, there was a leak in the roof. And so there was a nice bulge of drywall, you know, the ceiling just kind of sagging away there over the garage, the, both the pool houses had no foundation. So, you know, a nice little windstorm could have knocked the those had to go the pool was just solid black dude you you couldn't put your hand in there an inch and, and see it um and so it's yeah more or less like sludge it's pretty interesting um they had 15 foot joists instead of 12 foot joists so just about every area of the house needed to be restructured and resupported and then every square inch needed to be updated in that place so um i brought in a colleague i rented a bedroom out and then i saved up every year for big projects and so, um, you know, it, after a couple, and that, that was going well, that was going fine. Um, you know, after a couple of years, I got a letter in the mail, uh, from the tax appraiser It said, this is how much your house is worth. We're increasing our property taxes. I said, okay. And I looked at it and, and it was double what I paid for it. And I was just like, this is crazy. These people don't know what they're talking about. This is, this is insane. Um, and, and part of me just like, didn't want to pay it out of, out of principle, but I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, but you know, there's that, that, uh, I, I felt two things <laughs> as a result from that, Matt, you know, one end of the spectrum, I'm like, uh, I'm super ecstatic, right. I'm justified in me putting all this work into the house. I found the right market. I'm doing the right renovations. You know, I'm, I'm doing the right things. And then you go to the far other end of the spectrum and I'm devastated, right? Because all of like what I just spent 20 years of my life working up to do, you know, of, of, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, you know, buy a house, um, you know, like the amount of equity that I gained from that house, like far superseded any, any take home pay that I got in bonuses or 401k contributions or even company mats or anything like that. And it's just, it started to, to peel away at the layers of what I thought reality to be and, and you know, how you had to go. And so, um, you know, at, that was the moment where I, I kind of started to realize that there was another way, um, you know, my, and then I came across rich dad, poor dad, and then probably like most real estate investors, um, that changed my money mindset more than anything. Um, I started to, to rethink a lot of things. I was starting to ask questions. I was, you know, what's the difference between a person that makes a million dollars a year and a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's not time. Everyone's got those same 24 hours in a day. And so, um, it, it, it may be, um, kind of challenge what I, what I thought to new to be reality. And so, um, fast forward, I'm still grinding at work. I'm still hustling to, to race to that six figure salary. I'm constantly educating myself, leaning more heavily into real estate towards the end, uh, you know, closer to 2021 is where I went full-time in real estate. And so, um, habit engineering, networking, meetups, conferences, webinars, masterminds, um, just, you know, focusing on, on, uh, you know, the, the things that were going to be the most impactful to me, you know, in a, in a short-term time span. So, um, yeah, so I started out in the single family space, um, graduated up to the multifamily and then that's just kind of what I built my business around is multifamily syndication. Well, awesome. You have that proof of concept. I mean, you started cleaning up dirty diapers and opening the fridge door that hadn't been uh, opened in weeks or months perhaps. And then the sludge in the pool and all this work that you put in, which is, you know, that's definitely not a passive way to invest. So now I'm, I'm curious with these 400 units that you have now, are you, you know, passive in those or active or a bit of both? I'm passive in about 350 of them. 
Okay. Um, I own uh, three, uh, four uh, residential homes. Three are long-term rental and one is a short-term rental. Um, and then I am a co-GP on an apartment deal of about 50 units. And so that takes me over to 400. And so I'm also passively invested in a build-to-rent opportunity. And I'm also passively invested in a self-storage fund. So uh, awesome. that's how I'm diversified. And what kind of deals are you focused on right now? Right now, uh, I'm trying to find deals in markets that I know best. Um, so that's Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia. Um, so very much the you know the southeast, the Sun Belt, places where people are moving. Um, but you know, it sounds like a lot of territory, but there's really only a handful of markets within those states that I'm focused on that are you know growing larger than the national average um, population, median income. They've, they're trending on the correct direction for crime um, stuff of that sort. Good schools. And what that, those are kind of the high. I'm sorry. Those those are the high level demographics that I'm looking at there. And what asset class? Uh, for apartments, for apartments. Okay. Um, self storage is a little bit different. Um, I I I let myself get distracted by that one. And so with apartments, it's more of primary and secondary markets. But self storage can stand to be secondary and tertiary markets, and and still do pretty well there. And what size of apartments are you looking at? So myself is 50 units and above. I would I would consider smaller if it's in a market that I can scale up in. Um, like I would consider doing a joint venture, for example, um, for a 20 unit apartment complex. If it's in a city that I want to eventually get to, you know, hundred plus units, um, right. Then you, you still get to enjoy the economies of scale, so, stuff of that sort. So, but on paper, my buy box is 50 units and above BNC assets, 1980s or newer built. Nice. And are you looking at value add or turnkey or like complete redevelopment type of situations? Currently is value add. Um, you know, the, the development is intriguing to me. Um, I don't, I don't want to say I'll never do it, but, uh, I, I would like to get into that eventually just because it is, it is highly lucrative. So, um, for, for everyone involved, you know, so build to rent, um, is, is very appealing to me, but the, it's really got to be the right market for that. So. Okay. And, uh, I guess why, what interests you the most about these 50 plus unit, uh, value add, uh, multifamily and secondary and tertiary markets? Um, they're, they're not making them anymore. Hmm. You know, so if, if you look at um, what's being built today in new development, um, the only thing that makes sense to build usually is, is a 200 plus unit class, a plus apartment complex, right. And, you know, just with the, the type of dollar. So no one's building a class B, no one's building a class C. Um, and so there's really nothing to service the, you know, the workforce housing needs and the, the affordable housing needs of America, except those. And so um, knowing that there's going to be limited supply, um, I kind of, I, I see that as being a, a healthy asset class to focus on. And what kind of returns are you looking at with these deals? You know, generally we'll, we'll, we will look to double your money in some, some, finite time period, right? Whether that's three, five, seven years, um, that, that's kind of our targeted return. So if I'm doubling your money, 100% return on equity in five years, that's 20% annualized returns. If I'm doubling your money in seven years, that's closer to you know the 15% end of the spectrum there. Internal rate of return, anywhere from 13 to 17% internal rate, and then cash on cash will be about six to 8%. Yep. And so you know we look for pro pro probably what I'd say most of what value add um, multifamily syndicators target for and they're underwriting them. If it's a high cash flow position, say you're doing a loan assumption, you're probably going to get, you know, 
closer to the 1.8 equity multiple instead of the 2.0, right? Because you're going to be in, in, it's a safer, lower risk, right? And so with lower risk comes a little bit lower returns, but it's, if it still fits within that, that box of returns of, you know, 15 to 20% annualized or 13 to 17% internal rate, um, that's something to jump on because you just don't see that coming to market nowadays. So, Oh, yes, indeed. And how are you finding the deals that you're invested in or you know, looking at it at least right now? Yeah, I think uh, I heard some some statistic that 90% of commercial multifamily deals still go through brokers. Um, we started doing a little bit of direct-to-seller last year. We just haven't seen a whole lot materialize from it relative to um, you know building relationships with brokers, trying to get on their pocket listing list, um, you know where we're we're only competing with ten people and instead of a thousand people. Um, so we're still just building really strong relationships with brokers, letting them know that hey, we're here to solve problems. Um, and so if there's no problem to solve, we're probably not going to be the buyers. Mm-hmm. And so you're a GP in 50 units, you said. What's your role in that general partnership? I am. Yeah. So it's it's partially asset management. I helped a lot with investor relations, molding some of the initial communications that were going out with the the deal announcement as deal reminders, um, the webinar recaps and uh, recordings, stuff of that sort. So uh, molding those messages, um, every single message that goes out monthly communication wise, um, you know, I've got my finger in that as well. So, but um, we do two asset management calls a week. Um, and there's really like a third small one to help correct the categorization of expenses, um, just because what what we get um, from the work order repairs and the property manager, there's there's always something that's miscategorized as capex that needs to be categorized as repairs or vice versa. So, um, but yeah, I'd say a you know a baby part in asset management, um, but primarily investor relations. That's good that you're paying that close attention to that because uh, you know that sort of stuff makes a difference in the NOI, which then in turn makes a difference on the value of the property. For sure, for sure, it's it's nice to make you know ensure that your voice is heard because um, my experience in real estate is a little bit different than someone else's is different than someone else's is different than someone else's. So um, it, I, I really like the team that's on this one, and and there's a lot of complementary skill sets there. Yeah. So why would a passive investor want to invest with you versus some other team? Because I don't want to deal with that, <laughs> all that, all that nonsense that, that goes into to managing, you know, a multi-million dollar asset. Um, and, and there's, I guess, let's just say, let's break stuff down into in residential and commercial. Um, because if you have uh, a residential asset, um, there's really little to no room for partners, right? So you get to wear every single hat, even if you've got a property manager in place, you know, they're running stuff past you, you need to authorize so many, you know, expenses up to some magnitude. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's like your, your, your CPA is going to be like, yo, you you need to tell me your expenses for the year. And so there, there's so much about it that is not passive on the residential side. Um, I, 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 that's a, this is one of the few times I'll agree with Dave Ramsey, um, and that passive income from a single family residence is not passive income. Um, but whereas on the multifamily side, if you've, if you are syndicating, you know, a larger asset, then passive investing is truly passive investing. Um, the only part that's not passive and the passive, you know, through syndication is um, the networking part. So finding a syndicator that you know, like, and trust, you know, if you're 99% sure that's not enough, you know, I tell my investors, I, I want you to be convinced. I want you to be hundred percent sure that this is, this is the, you know, this fits your risk profile, your goals, your time horizon, um, and, and the level of, um, you know, passivity, if that's the word, um, that, that you want to be in this deal. And so you're, you're passive in 350 units about, so how, um, how did you find and vet the syndication sponsors with whom you invested? For me, it was, it was probably a little bit backwards than, than most, but I, I found the markets first 
And then I found the people that operated in those markets. So found where, you know, where I wanted to position myself um, and, and the markets that I truly believed in. Um, it gets, and, and and I don't know that it's required to do that, right? So if someone says, um, you know, Des Moines, Iowa is just doing great and Columbus, Ohio and Cleveland and all these places in the Midwest that I just don't know a whole lot about are, you know, they're cash cows. Um, that's great. But I, if I'm doing diligence on the sponsor, I still need to to have faith in the market that they're in to know that it's still going to exist at that level, if not more in five years during whenever we're trying to exit. Um, so for, it was just easier for me since I was already educated on, on Louisville. And then another one is, is North Alabama uh, that I'm invested in. So you found the markets that you really liked and how did you find the, the sponsors in those areas? Like, did you just do a Google search or network or, or what? Yeah. And that's, that's probably a question that's not easy to answer because that, that takes networking. Um, so if, you know, the only reason I found them was because I was going to multifamily meetups. Um, you know, a lot of these deals, you're not allowed to advertise, right. If you're trying to be sec compliant and the way that the, the, the funds are raised. And so, you know, it, it takes a little bit of calories. Like I said, that's the only part that's not passive is finding people that, you know, like, and trust in this space. Um, and so, but listening to podcasts is another easy way, right? So who's a guest and what market? Okay. Let me zero in on what they're doing. Let me check out their website. Let me check out their company overview, sample deals, portfolio, past history. So, um, it, you know, digital presence probably initially, and then asking for references, you know, asking people locally, Hey, do you know this, this guy or gal, um, what can you tell me about him? Good or bad. So there's people listening to this podcast who are looking to do more investing passively into real estate. And so they're they're hearing your story, but they're hearing other people as well on other episodes and other podcasts. Uh, why would somebody want to invest with you as opposed to a different syndication sponsor? For sure, and uh, I would say probably probably a couple things. Um, so I told you the markets that I'm in, right? And so if you really really want to be in Nashville, then I'm probably going to be one of the the people that's better suited for it rather than you know someone in New Jersey or, or California, right? I can tell you everything about Nashville. I can tell you that the number one industry is not music, right? It's counterintuitive. It's actually healthcare. Um, you know, I can tell you how it performed in 2008 and what we can expect it to do. And, you know, in the next recession where it's going to be strengths, where the weaknesses, exposures. Um, so I think part of the, part of it was, you know, if you're, if you're like me and you're, you believe in the market first and then finding the team to support that market. Um, I would say that's, that's one reason. The other reason is, is strategy, you know, business plan, hold period. Um, so I'm not looking to do an apartment flip with, um, no cash flow and mostly appreciation. I'm not looking to build new, which is also you no know, cash flow, uh, mostly appreciation. I'm not doing self storage. I'm not focused on self storage. Um, and so I, I, I dabble for fun, right? I don't, I don't build a business around that, but you know, and, and so if, but if you believe in the, uh, you know, the basic needs that workforce housing and apartment supply and, and shelter and warmth and sleep, um, you know, then, then that's definitely alignment of what I'm looking at every day. And I, you know, I've met you in person, so I can attest that you're a very friendly and approachable uh, guy, easy to get to know. So, and I know you have a, a meetup that you run as well in the Nashville area. That's both virtually as well as online. So, mm -hmm. or, and, and in person rather. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your uh, meetup and, and how people can find it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm on meetup.com. Um, we're rotating right now between virtual and in-person. Um, we have about 1,250 members almost actually in that one. So Nashville multifamily meetup is how you would find us on meetup.com. Um, and we are once a month. 
And so, um, right now I'm, I'm selfishly, I'm just having them be at different breweries that I want to go to. So that, that is where we're meeting, uh, whenever we do meet in person. Yeah, I do the same thing with my meetups. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. Uh, but I'll, I'll include a link to your meetup group in the uh, show notes as well. Appreciate that. So uh, what's the problem that you encountered with an investment and how was it handled? Yeah, for me, um, I'll, I'll share a story that I think a lot of people are going through right now if they are existing passive investors. Um, and, and most of it stems from, you know, the debt that is undertaking. Um, you know, when, and we talk about risk in a lot of, a lot of different ways in multifamily, um, there's, there's risk in the team, there's risk in the market, there's risk in the business plan, there's risk in the tenant base, there's risk in the employees, there's risk in the demographics. Um, but seldom do we talk about the risk in the debt, um, that's chosen. And so, um, you know, we, for the, the last 50 unit that we closed on, that was a loan assumption. We locked into an interest rate of 4.6. Um, we've got seven years left, uh, fixed rate debt on that. Right. And that, that's kind of what I preach is buy a cash flow and get set with long-term fixed rate debt and inject appreciation through your business plan. Um, but I think what most people are going through right now are, are business, are heartaches related to variable debt. Um, through through bridge debt. Um, and then in the commercial space, you can also buy an interest rate cap on those. And they are extremely expensive right now. And so people that bought, you know, three years ago for a three-year term on their loan, and they were just thinking that the the um, the interest rate market wasn't going to be anything like it was today. They were banking on an easy refinance, um, right? They're, they're having to pause distributions. They're having to do cash in refinances. They're doing capital calls. Um, they're being forced into selling an asset or getting preferred equity groups to help bail them out. Um, you know, that's the, when I do, I guess that would be a situation that I think everybody needs to be aware of. Um, and whenever you're buying into a business plan is what is the underlying debt that's servicing that? Yeah, that definitely makes a huge difference in you know, whether a deal can pencil out or not, you know, how much you're having to pay in mortgage and uh, what's that going to, you know, if it's going to change over the coming years and how you're going to handle that. For sure. So, um, I'll answer, uh, I'll, I'll answer it um, with something more specific too, but um, I guess just a, a risk and in, in an investment, um, you know, it, it's really having, having, the visibility, uh, as well as the faith in, uh, in knowing that whenever you do take over an asset, you know, there's going to be three things that you can expect to happen. Um, your taxes are going to increase, your insurance is going to increase from what the previous owner had, and then some people are going to move out. And so if you are extremely leveraged and your, your break-even occupancy is like 88% <laughs> and you know, you, you lose, you know, five people in a 50 unit property, right. You're already uh, pretty close to break-even occupancy. Um, so thing, things to, to think about are, you know, is, is the, is the debt plus expenses. Does that give you the warm and fuzzies when it comes to the break-even occupancy? Um, where do you need to be? Are you stacking up the reserves to account for stuff like that? Are all questions that I would ask, um, depending on the leverage that you have on an asset. Yeah. And what's the going economic occupancy rate of that area for that asset class as well? I mean, yep. yeah. All right. Uh, are you ready for a speed round? Yeah. Hit me. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? The passive real estate investing, it's uh it's it's two parts. I hope I'm not um messing up the answer there, but it's the it's the cash flow and appreciation, right? I got in this business for passive income. I want to offset my living expenses with real estate assets. And so it's passive income, but knowing that there's gonna be appreciation, um, you know, a hedge against inflation is what is how I sleep easy at night. And what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? 
you know, um, everything, you know, is that, is that an answer, Matt? No. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really the, you know, every, every year I learn more, um, you know, in, in regards to the business. So, so knowing what, what communities I should have been in initially, or, you know, how seriously I should have taken having a coach and a mentor, um, could have really, um, you know, condense the timeline that I needed to get to where I want to be. Um, so really leaning more into the network. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, great advice. And what's a book that you can recommend to other investors? Um, I have two books, one's, one's for fun, but, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, networking and trying to find the right people based on your superpower, um, who, not how is, is probably the easiest one that I can recommend, um, by, uh, Dan Sullivan and, and Dr. Ben Hardy there. Um, so they, they did a good job of, of that. The other one that, uh, I'm a big fan of journaling. Um, so the other book that I would recommend uh, is more just kind of a lifestyle book to help you try to recognize, um, that there should be a five second moment in every single day. Um, and so whether that's with your, your wife or your kid or, you know, spouse or kids or partners or other loved ones, um, you know, try to document a five second moment in every day where you're, you're just evolving, you know, as a, as a human being. And what was the name of that second book? Story Worthy. Okay. And how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more? For sure. Yeah. And, and I just want to say, you know, thank you, Matt, for hosting the platform here. Um, I, I did write a book on passive investing. I wrote the Passive Investor's Guide to the Multifamily Universe. Um, trying to do a, a little fun play on words with the other book there. But um, you can find that on tbcapitalgroup.com. So uh, TB is in Tango Bravo capitalgroup.com. And then there will be an option to download the book there on the bottom right. Cool. I will include that in the show notes as well. And is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? Um, uh, no, no, nothing, nothing burning. Uh, I think we, Matt, you got, you did a pretty good job of, um, extracting all the great information out of me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it was great having you on Tommy and have a great rest of your day. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.